This is Leafs Late. Hi, this is Mike Ross, public address announcer for your Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Leafs Late Night Podcast, your post-game destination. And now, your starting lineup. Roscoe, the Fanalist, Southey, Beaner, and Darty Brodeur on the Leafs Late Night Podcast. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I got to start off by apologizing that it's been so long. So many things have gotten in the way of this. So started with some uh, personal matters, then, you know, getting everybody together once the season's done is a little tough as it is with work schedules and things. But then the craziest thing happened over Victoria Day weekend. A storm hit a large majority of Ontario, mostly eastern Ontario. And uh, me being in Ottawa, I was right in the middle of it. And apparently my street was in the... I wouldn't. I guess not the eye of the storm because that's protected. But we were in the worst hit spot, I guess, in Ottawa because Uxbridge was uh, was hit pretty bad. And I mean, people lost their lives in it, which is a little, not a little. It's very unfortunate. Um, but I lost power for nine days, and that was uh, that was crazy. That's something that I've never experienced before in my life, especially not in my adult life. Something that uh, was kind of a wake up call for preparedness. Um, but I just want to touch on one thing that's changed. Oh, actually, I should also say we tried to do an episode the other day and uh, we got about we started one. We realized Steph's side wasn't recording for some reason. So we restarted it thinking that it was just a glitch and it would work the second time. Didn't even check. Got 20 minutes into recording and realized Steph's is not recording. So um, that episode, unfortunately, had to be scrapped. So uh, Beaner and I are going to do our best to rehash some things and pretend like we have not heard uh, each other say them before. um but just to the just real quick on the ottawa power outage the um the mayor uh jim watson retweeted somebody saying well said uh and it was a post saying that like people are complaining and should have just been better prepared for this um as somebody that had lost power for nine days uh the estimate for the power to come back was 10 p.m the night that it went out then it was two days to three days. Then it was hopefully by end of day Friday. And it came back midday Sunday. Communication is very important when it comes to these things because the way that you prepare for 24 hours or three days or six days or nine days without power are all very different. Um, so as much as I can say, you know, it was a lesson in being prepared, which it kind of was. We didn't have enough of, uh, you know, we didn't have a generator, which is not exactly affordable, especially with gas as expensive as it is. But I mean, we had to buy some extra candles and I don't know. At the same time, it was just the communication was awful. And uh, I hope that next time something like this happens. It's just it's crazy that I live in the capital city of Canada and they have to call in people from all over uh, Ontario Hydro to help. And it seems like every time something goes wrong in Ottawa, they have to call in people for help from outside of the city. And it's like, why are we not ready for things like this? Anyway, I was hockey. Uh, sorry, Johnny. I was um, I was working down in Essex, which is basically in Windsor. So, oh, by the way, I'm much. here with Beaner. I didn't even say who's here. <laughs> it's been a while. We're pretty rusty. Eh? Just uh, Beaner and you, I tonight. Go on. You can't um, you can't get much farther from Ottawa in Ontario than Windsor unless you're up in Thunder Bay. And there was linesmen from down there who were volunteers at the fire department I was working at, and they were going up to help. The uh, it's funny you say that. I think it was Waterloo Hydro that fixed our street specifically. Like there were people from all over Ontario working here. They said it was about six months worth of work. Every single pole 
basically was destroyed and the storm couldn't have lasted more than 20 minutes maybe 30 tops which is just crazy the amount of damage that came out of it but really it just says like how how not shoddy but like how weak is our system that you know one storm like this and the whole town is like in in shambles it's crazy uh anyway on to hockey because things have happened um i mean i guess uh so last time i we tried to do this episode i called it shit i'm tired of talking about um but i guess i already spent so much time talking about power outage i don't want i don't want to spend too much time on this but i have to say um the amount of gun violence that's going on in states is just ridiculous right now um i know you guys all come here for hockey and you haven't heard from us in like three weeks but this is just getting out of hand um since the last episode we recorded there's been like upwards of 20 mass shootings in the states and it's just yeah i hope uh, i really hope something changes it's it's past the time of saying like you know thoughts and prayers and all that i mean as much as you do feel just awful for all these devastated families everywhere it's just something needs to be done and um steve kerr i know was it you or steph that brought up steve kerr last time uh, I was Steph. I was Steph. So I'll, I'll give that shout out to Steph because she's not here tonight. But Steve Kerr had a really great um, uh, speech on this before the game, just saying, you know, I'm not here to talk about basketball. There's 50 senators that are holding up what, you know, 90% of American people want, which is background checks. I mean, uh, just earlier this week, we had somebody in, in uh, oh, I forgot where it was. Sorry. Uh, someone who bought a, a assault rifle and that same day walked into a hospital. It's like, just something's got to change there. Um, but uh, segue from that into hockey. The night that I recorded the last episode, and this is typical podcast stuff, right? Like as soon as you hit end, uh, something happens. Literally like 20 minutes after I hit end and posted it. Uh, update. Mitch Marner got carjacked in Etobicoke. Like, so apparently he was going with a friend to a movie and they were at a stoplight and uh, two guys, two with guns, one with a knife came at him and uh, and stole his car, his Land Rover. And this is wild. Apparently it's happened a couple times at the same intersection. So obviously not a nice part of town and people are waiting for this. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that like, obviously you hear about that kind of stuff happening all the time, but it's just. It, it especially like I live, I, I don't live right there, but I'm in the area all the time for work. So it's, it's nuts here in this kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And thankfully they just didn't recognize who he was. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I mean, had they known who he was, I mean, what do they take him hostage or something? If they know he's worth the millions that he is like, what do you, it could only get worse. I mean, I'm just speculating, but yeah, you never know. Um, but weird car stuff happened the same, like within a couple days, we hear Yarmir Yager, the 50 year old, uh, still playing in, is he Czech or is he just playing there? I don't ever remember. Yager? Yager's yeah. Czech, yeah. Yeah. So the, the Czech monster, Yarmir Yager, uh, got in a car accident and somehow walked away unscathed because he is Yarmir Yager and can just do things that normal human beings shouldn't be able to do and be in great shape doing it. <laughs> Yeah, he's a beast of a man. And if you see the wreckage, he's very, very lucky. Oh, yeah. I saw the picture of the car and it's like on the driver's side, too. It looks like he what was it? A, a semi truck hit him or he hit a semi truck or something. I, I think the report said a trolley. So I'm thinking like a street car or something like that. Oh, right. It was a street car. That's wild. But uh, 
Yeah, Yager is an interesting story. Like I was looking at his stats. I think here, I'm going to pull them up to get more recent with this, but he basically can't retire just because he's the only thing bringing in any kind of ad revenue or, or like filling the seats in this league. It's just, it's kind of sad, but the fact that he's still able to play at this level is insane. I mean, 43 games, he's got eh, eight goals, 11 assists. So, I mean, he's not fantastic, but what is this last time? The name recognition, right? Yeah. Those arenas because of him are getting more fans than the coyotes are going to get all of next year. (laughs) And I mean, here, 1920, in 38 games, he had 29 points. But I don't know what the difference between Czech and Czech 2 is because it seems like he's moving between two different leagues. But I don't know if it means they got relegated or what, but I don't know. Speaking of getting relegated, what an interesting segue. I didn't even have this one written down. <laughs> uh, did you see the video of the Saint Etienne thing? Uh, little bits and pieces. Dude, while I'm talking about it, I'm serious. Pull it up. It's it's wild. It's fucking crazy. So for anybody who's unfamiliar with how UEFA works, I guess like I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it. I'm just going to go for it off the top of my head. Correct me if you know anything about it, Beaner. But if you come in last, I don't know if it's you get relegated for coming in last once or if it's like multiple seasons or something. But apparently two French teams or both of them in UEFA were both relegated this season. And it came down to the last game for Saint-Étienne, where all they needed to do was win. And uh, it was a, it was out of a couple games, I guess. It was their last two games. And one of them was like tied going into aggregate time and they lost it. And then they needed to just win. And they ended up tying their last game instead of winning. And as the opposing team is celebrating and, and like running off to one side of the field, you just see a mob of people storm the field like immediately as the game is over and you're like what what's going on and then one flare gets lit up and then another one and another one and within like 30 seconds there's probably 150 flares and they're throwing them at the saint Etienne team and towards the exit so they can't escape it's insane and for anyone who listens to dangles podcast they talked about this too and the point that they made that i just love is um People who talk about it being tough to play in Toronto, it's tough to play soccer anywhere. Like, this yeah, is like, nuts. I'm I'm still a rookie when it comes to 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 football, as everywhere except North America calls it. Um, I but I do know with the Premier League, I believe it's the bottom three teams get relegated down, and then the top teams from the lower league get relegated up or not relegated get promoted sorry right um just to kind of keep everything fresh you don't have the coyotes of the league that just lose and lose and lose every year and nothing ever gets done about it right Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting concept and i i think that there is some some leagues in north america that could actually probably benefit from something like that I think there is. And what another great segue. Oh my gosh, we're getting great at this. You know, episode 80, (laughs) we should be by now. Um, So the Arizona Coyotes and the city of Tempe have reached a tentative agreement for a $2 billion arena development, which Bettman obviously is thrilled about. But the little Bettman asterisk is you guys need to sign a deal that you're not moving for 30 years. 
He's like, I want to be dead the next time we talk about moving the coyotes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, this is going to be brutal. This next, they're going to play here for like three years. You, you, you got to wonder when it's got to stop. Like, I get it. Batman's whole thing was to get into the Sun Belt, right? To get into the, the large TV revenue markets. And for the most part, he succeeded. Tampa's strong. They started off a little slow, but they're strong. Texas has won it. Like, Dallas has won a cup. Nashville's strong. Cal- the California teams, they're all doing well. The yeah. only one, and, and look at what Vegas is doing, the only one that hasn't succeeded is the Coyotes. I mean, San Jose has been a perennial first or second round exit, but yeah, I get what you mean. They're still a competitive enough team to keep the fans coming, right? Yeah, and they've had a lot of big names over the years between Marlowe and Thornton, and uh, I'm forgetting a bunch, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, and, and the history of hockey in California goes way back. Like, I know it was Darty a long time ago, brought it up. Uh, Bill Barocco had played out west in his minor days before he became a leaf and i just heard the tragically hip song on the radio today it's such a good song it is there's been multiple teams in the bay area whether it was the the california golden seals or just the california seals and you have the sharks like there's there's been teams out there so there's actually a, a fairly decent fan base there it's just getting them to stay committed so you have to have somewhat of a stable franchise even if they don't win got to be somewhat consistent right so what does 30 years of the arizona coyotes look like like do they ever fix this does another owner step in like does in in 30 years are we just laughing about the fact that we were ever talking about moving them or does this ever get better like i just obviously now is the worst time to look at the future with them because it's awful but in my lifetime, they've never really been much, like especially since Shane Doan retired. Yeah, they like realistically, they haven't really been all that great. But when like when they first came over, you had Kachuk, you had um, well, obviously Doan. You did have a handful of players that came from the Jets that were decent, and they have they've had a couple decent years. And if you listen to any of the players who used to be there. Like one of the one of my favorite people to listen to talk about hockey in general is Mike Johnson, and he's on Sirius XM all the time, and he played with the Coyotes. He had Gretzky as his coach when he was there, and he even said like, "Yes, okay, they do have a lot of games where there's next to no fans there, but if there was like the couple times they've made the playoffs, or you know when they're doing half decent, like." There's fans in the area from what everybody's saying. Now, yet again, it could be Bettman pushing this, but a lot of it was where they are. Like in, where's the Gila River Arena? Is it Glendale? Yeah. In Glendale. It's like kind of like how we always talk about the Senators Arena, right? Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to get to that nobody wants to do it on weeknights. Like, so they Were they not tennis, playing right? in Phoenix when they were the Phoenix Coyotes? I believe they were in Scottsdale at that point, which is, See, I think is on the other side of the city. That's insane. Like, just get it into the core of the city. Like, have they not learned anything from all these mm-hmm. new arenas that have been built? Like, how big is Tempe, by the way? I don't even, I've only been to 
Arizona once and I was like seven. So I don't. I've never been remotely close to Arizona. Tempe population 191,000. Are you fucking kidding me? It's like the size of (laughs) Kingston. What are you doing? Like Ottawa's a million and and we're out in Canada and we're talking about how much of a joke it is. What are you doing? 30 years in a city that with 190,000 people? Are you nuts? Also, just real quick to tie this back into San Etienne. Weird thing that uh, I heard from Adam Wilde. He stumbled upon. I like to shout people out, even though I'm just kind of radioing things from their podcast. But I found this really interesting. So remember John Chega, who briefly owned or... Was it owned or GM? Young, he was the GM of the Coyotes. GM, yep. And uh, he was the one that got involved with that whole scandal where he took an interview with the Devils but said he didn't, and then he was suspended from the league. So he was bidding on buying St. Etienne. Oh, really? Yeah. So apparently the team is like kind of in limbo of who's buying it. And the fans all wanted him to buy it. But instead, there's another group that owns a bunch of teams in different cities. And they didn't want a group that because they own another team in UEFA. Like, I don't even know how that's allowed. Uh, But it's one of those groups that owns a bunch of different teams in different cities and different sports, which the fans didn't want because they want, you know, the attention to go to them. But John Chago was the one that the fans wanted because he's like, I just want to own this one team. And I think that's hilarious that he's like moved on from the NHL and he's like, fuck it, I'm buying it soccer team now well i if i remember correctly i think there was some ties with him and the people who own the new york mets huh i i I think i remember hearing that i could be wrong but um i just looked it up as you were talking about it tempe is basically just a suburb of phoenix oh okay it's only 10 minutes away from the phoenix airport okay okay so so it it'd be like burlington to Toronto or something. Well, maybe that's not a perfect example, but be like Mississauga to Toronto or something like that, right? So still, just put it in Phoenix. Well, yeah. Like the the thing is, if you're not going to be able to get it into the core of the city where everybody can walk there and you can create a whole entertainment hub, because that's really the future of. I know people talk about like you know virtual viewing of games as the future of sports, but like the future of arenas is being an entire entertainment hub where you can be there for a couple hours before and a couple hours after the game, and it's feeding into the local economy. That's the ideal scenario. Um, Putting arenas outside of these places where you have to drive to them, like, I mean, I've mentioned, I've been to the Florida Panthers arena. It's like the Ottawa Senators one. You basically drive onto an island parking lot that's like a casino. There's, you know, big fountains and things, and it's all brightly lit up, and it's a big towering hotel of a building but like there's nothing around there's just parking lot forever it's nuts and i mentioned this on my episode alone when i went to the game here with my girlfriend in ottawa we had to walk uh two and a half kilometers out of the uber because getting into the place is so bad because it's like the arena is between two off ramps and so basically people are coming from both directions trying to get in so there's just police like waving one car at a time from like each direction so we just saw a lineup of cars and our Uber's like, uh, we're like, yeah, we're going to get out here. And he's like, gee, thanks. Like, I'll, now I have to sit in this. Like, that, they got to do better that's planning. Almost, that, that's almost similar to Scotiabank Arena. It's pretty horrible. But at least if you, like, for example, when Stefan Southey and I went, we stayed in an Airbnb that you can literally, like, throw a rock out of our balcony and hit Scotiabank Arena. Like, 
there's restaurants across the road. There's like all kinds of things there that you can do. Yes, driving there is a bit of a pain in the ass, but the point is you don't have to because you can stay somewhere close by and walk there and make a whole night of it. You can't do that here and you can't do that a lot of these places. So Mm -hmm. like, I I guess this $2 billion thing is going to include some sort of an entertainment district, but I don't know, man, like unless it's near a college or something, it's just... They really got to think about, especially if you're committing 30 years, you got to think about the long term because, I mean, look where we're at with we're talking about rebuilding the Sky Dome and it's been about 30 years there talking about like, I mean, the Saddle Dome's long overdue. There's a lot of these things that we got to rebuild and uh, they really got to think about the planning of, of everything and how to get there. So the arenas of the future. I, I just hope that some of them, like similar to what the Kraken did with Climate Pledge Arena, that some of them actually have a little uniqueness to them, right? Mm-hmm. Too many of them are getting to be too cookie cutter that it's the same. Yeah, I uh, I love the little tidbit that the UBS arena has the most women's washrooms of any professional sports arena, I think. <laughs> uh, just from experience, I uh, at the... Uh, what is it? The Canadian Tire Center here. I've never waited in line so long for the bathroom as a man. A, a, a man as a man. Oh my god, it's oh, insane. Yeah. You, you gotta like practice for a couple weeks ahead of time if you're going to a game, just holding it in. Oh yeah. Uh, so just to bring it back to the Leafs. So I on our my last show alone, I predicted that this would probably be the last year that we see Jason Spezza lace up in uh in the skates and playing on the ice with the Leafs but I thought he'd be really great in an assistant coaching role or some sort of developmental role and oh it's been a while I wasn't ready for this give me my thingy where is it (laughs) I was right I was right and I partially I said in some sort of, I said he, he should be an assistant coach, but maybe in some sort of developmental role. They're basically letting him spend 14 months deciding what he wants to do. So, Well, not not really the full 14, because come trade deadline day, they're going to sign him to a, a league minimum contract, and he's going to come back to hit the 1,000-point mark and take another run at it in the playoffs. Okay, so shout out to the Discord. I know I've been silent on there, but it's because I'm <laughs> embarrassed that we haven't been able to get anything out. Ugh. Um... I keep saying new episode tonight and I can't get us all together. It's been, it's been fun. Um, but sky blue asked our thoughts on Spezza. So these are my thoughts. I think he might sign at the deadline. I think everybody's kind of throwing that around. Pardon me, throwing that around because like so many of these guys who like, you can't, you can't cut him right before a thousand. I mean, I know he made the choice himself to retire, but I think that was kind of because he knew he wasn't going to get the ice time and they were like not like a forced retirement but kind of like a look we're not going to give you every game like they didn't even play him game one and two of the playoffs and he was talking about how much that sucked so he needs to be involved or he's not interested yeah well it's you think about it he's been training and giving his all every summer to make sure he's in shape since what was his rookie year 2000 2001 yeah 19 like, seasons he played, so probably drafted 01. Yeah, it's it's, it's right around there. Um, shame on me. I should have that off the top of my head. But, uh, like, it's, it's a lot to do and to commit to. And 
he has played every role from the rookie with so much promise to the superstar to the captain to the veteran that is just trying to stay in the league right drafted second overall 2001 yeah okay so yeah 2002 would have been his rookie year like it's a lot he's probably still going to be working out like crazy he's never going to be away from the game because he's a hockey lifer that's just who he is yeah he'll be like a gary roberts where i'm sure he'll even if he's not involved with the leafs he'll have some sort of hockey school or developmental program for you know young guys and or you know just young players in general um yep. i don't i don't think he's ever gonna really hang it up until uh you know he his body literally gives out on him so and that's not good the way he treats it that's uh it's going to be a long time, especially if he's not playing anymore. Yeah, that's not anytime soon. So where do you see him landing? What do you think is a, a good fit for Jason Spezza on this team? Because he's you know, he's going to try a bunch of stuff out. He's like an intern. Honestly, at this point, I think he's probably expressed interest to Dubas that, hey, you know, somewhere down the line, I want to be a general manager. So with the... What what was his official title? The special assistant. Special assistant to Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like something Dwight would say. If I was off. just thinking the same thing. Um. <laughs> assistant to the general manager. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to take the first little while and just kind of shadow Dubas and see what he's doing, right? And then I think as he gets more comfortable not being on the ice, probably a little bit of like a recruitment role. Um, trying to talk to some, maybe some of the veterans that are in the league who are contemplating coming to the Leafs and then just talk to the kids from prospects like newly drafted players to ECHL players, to AHL players, you name it, making what does guidance counselor sound like the wrong term? Like as silly as that may sound, like making sure that they have what they need or, I, I I don't know how, how else to explain it, right? Because he's been in the league. He knows everything. And I mean, look, his pep talk turned that game around against Tampa. And that's not Absolutely. the first time he did that. He did that a lot of, during the regular season. He did it in the series against Montreal with that fight. Like he's, he understands the mental game that goes with the skill and physical game of it. So I get what you're saying. I don't know what title goes with that or like if it's a, some sort of skills coach or just developmental coach of some kind but i think somewhere in the world that they've got nick antropov working with russian players i think you have spezza work with basically everybody that's in the system whether it's on the marlies or not um something along those lines i think would be really good for him that or um like you said some sort of gm role down the line so maybe scouting um pro or amateur i think he'd be he'd be good at because like you said he he has the hockey iq he knows what to look for and he's good at at talking to these kids so i think you know if you're approached by jason spezza as a scout like you know that that's got some weight to it well not only that like you think of it when he was coming up he was touted as the next gretzky the next lindros right like there's always that player that's being touted as that and who went number He's... one that year? I'm going to check. Kovalchuk. 2001 draft, yeah. Nice. Yep. Um, nice one. <laughs> some random useless things up in this noggin of mine. Um, 
and he, he's one of the rare players who has had that thrown at him. Didn't necessarily live up to it, but still had an exceptional career. Oh, I mean, that line, Heatley, Alfredson, and Spezza were just monsters. Like, yeah. Ottawa was not on the map, really. And then they just came out of nowhere and dominated the Eastern Conference. And, uh, I mean, they went to the finals a couple times. And Eastern Conference yeah, they went and to the Stanley finals Cup. in 07 against the Ducks. Yeah. Man, they've been uh, they've had some good runs for their short life. It's been a lot. It's been a, such a roller coaster. This city, man. I don't know how these Sens fans do it. Like, fuck, being a Leaf fan, at least it's the roller coasters repetitive. These guys, you get so close, and then it just you're out of the playoffs for a couple of years, and then the team shits on your whole staff in an Uber, and you got to trade everybody. It's like such a right, such a <clears throat> crazy market here. I love it. Look at 2017. If Flurry didn't make that save, or did Flurry make save, or did they miss the net? E- either way, like they were one shot away from going to the final. I worked that series, eh? Did I tell you? Uh, no, you didn't. I uh, so I was early in my career working in film, and I got a random call one night. It was some guy that I had worked a couple times with. And he's like, hey, do you want to, um, what are you doing on Friday? And I was like, nothing, why? He's like, do you want to work the the game at the Canadian Tire Center? And I was like, the game at the Canadian Tire Like, the Sens game? He's like, yeah, Showtime's there. It was very vague. Like, the person, like, just was kind of being vague on purpose. And it turned out that Showtime's, like, quest for the Stanley Cup, they... They don't know who's going to win, obviously. It's like when they make the t-shirts or hats for all the teams, you know, for Stanley Cup champion. They follow every team in case they win. So I was part of the team that was following the Ottawa Senators in case they went on and ended up winning the Cup. So we were working all the games here in Ottawa. So I got to watch that all the home games here from the glass where like the Zamboni and like the team with all the shovels come in and the girl who's like, all right, Sens fans, and gives away like lawnmowers and shit. Um, and so I got to work with like the sound it was like one sound guy and one or two camera guys and me it was really cool Um, so I like drove them to the game and then I was their assistant during the game I didn't really have to do that much but then I'd like go into the dressing room and we'd be like I probably shouldn't I'm probably not allowed to talk about a lot of this but I fuck it it was years ago Um, and we got to like mic up uh some of the players and i got to go out on the bench the really cool thing was going on the bench before the game when the arena is completely empty to like put the microphones under the bench and everything for like getting that part um but yeah we had wires on refs the pittsburgh team put them on crosby and kessel and malkin we had them on oh i forget who was carlson and i forget it was on the team at that time but sabenajad i think was still there yeah i think he was um a couple other guys but uh yeah, that was when I, I was alone walking down a hallway. I think I've told this story on the, the show. I was alone walking down a hallway, coming back from the washroom or something, and I just looked down the the hallway to Pittsburgh's dressing room, and literally, like, I'm the only person around. And Phil Kessel is just standing there, staring back at me, just like, we locked eyes, and he just, like, stood there, just like nothing. <laughs> and I just kind of did, like, a, a, a okay, and I just he kept thought, walking. He, he thought you were bringing him a hot dog. <laughs> it was the strangest interaction like i've never made <laughs> eye contact with somebody and have them just like stare and not even think about saying like 
I mean, I guess I did the same thing, but it was because he just had this look on his face of just like confusion and I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was very interesting. Also, um, because I guess he comes to some of the, I guess because the series could have ended that night and there might've been a trophy to hand out for the Eastern conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I was coming in from one of the doors and I saw in my peripherals that there was somebody coming in behind me and I held the door open and it was fucking Gary Batman. Oh, geez. I was like, wait, whoa, whoa what? Um, f- other fun fact, all the signs, like when you're in the hallway where all the, the dressing rooms and stuff are, all of them say um, property of the NHL, no access without written permission from Gary Bettman. Like his his name specifically is on every single fucking door. It's insane. Anyway, enough about that. But that was just a cool experience I had when I first started working. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I still have the uh, the media pass hanging on one of my jerseys here because that was cool to just be able to like walk in and flash a pass and get through. <laughs> the only thing I have similar to that was when I went to the 2014 Winter Classic. I had got a pass to go down on the rink after the game. Oh, nice. That's cool. So that was that was pretty sweet. I almost walked away with Kadri's broken stick, but oh, I got shit. caught. Uh, I w- we'll we'll touch on Kadri on the next episode because that's like a whole fucking half hour in itself. But yeah. um, hopefully he gets better. Yeah, man, scary hit from. Uh, I mean, I watched it a couple times. My first watch, I was like, oh, you didn't really hit him. He just kind of fell. But then the more you watch it, you're like, oh, he kind of the momentum there, and he just kind of gave him a little extra to yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so just quick on Spezza, because I know we talked about this on our episode that didn't make it. Uh, kind of jumping from that in the GM thing. The Sedins were moved into a new role with the Vancouver Canucks, and they just hired, who was it, Samuelson and... Mike Komisarek. Mike Komisarek. Um, I think, was there somebody else? I think nope. there was. It was the Sedins the and Samuelson and Komisarek. Right. So does this mean that they're getting more training before their GMs? Or do you think this is like maybe they're transitioning away from that route? My thought is that maybe the Sedins don't necessarily like that. Or um, with the way the, the hierarchy is in the Canucks organization right now, because they've got a couple a couple different assistant GMs and you've got Jim Rutherford there as well. Like yeah, probably too many cooks in the kitchen, right? So go down into development. They're not too far removed from planes. They can still kind of help out in that role, stay within the organization, stay in the area and just wait your turn. Right. Yeah. I think it's less of a couple years from now and more of like a 10, 15 years from now that they take over, especially I think the plan kind of changed course when they brought Jim Rutherford in. Um, when they fired Jim Benning because Rutherford definitely brought in, like you said, a, a lot of AGMs. Um, I'm blanking on her name right now, but they hired um, a lot of people that he had as like protégés. So I think that kind of guides the Canucks in a direction to kind of stay this path of, you know, Rutherford's people. You know, once he retires, uh, they have kind of like a, a next in waiting that was trained by him to take over. And I think that kind of pushes the, uh, the timeline for the Sedins down. Um, Cami Granado and Neil Castonguay. Right. There were two of them. I knew I was forgetting something. It's been a while since we've talked hockey. 
another thing that Spezza, back to him, did that was really cool was taking League Min to stay with the Leafs because he just wanted to be here and wanted to uh, to help, basically help the team out by, you know, pay me as little as possible. I don't need the money. You know, use it because we, we all know how this league works with the cap. And unfortunately, with the uh, pandemic, uh, it's been frozen for a couple of years here and it will be for another two seasons, I think. Um, man. I'm glad that uh, rubbed off on uh, Mark Giordano because on our last show, I was talking about, you know, how do we keep Morgan Riley with his raise? And I predicted Gio would have to take somewhere between like one and a half to 1.8 just to make that raise make sense. Um, And it sounds like the Leafs may have offered him upwards of that. And he said, no, 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 no. I know what we're doing here. Give me league minimum for two years. So it means next year he'll be making under league men, right? Isn't this like that Kyle Clifford deal where technically he makes under league minimum because he signed like two years at it. So the average is out and it's like, anyway, yeah, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Anyway, we get Mark Giordano for 800,000 a year, beautiful deal. And it frees up uh space to not only keep people potentially, but uh, to make some moves here. This past year was also the final year that we're paying for Phil Kessel as well. Oh, thank God. I know. 1.2 million <laughs> comes off. And that's nothing to laugh about, especially like, I mean, as we laugh about it. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's quite a big chunk of money, especially with a flat cap. That's a whole person. Like, that's a whole player right there that you don't have because of fucking Phil Kessel. And what that's was half it only? Of Riley's raise. Yeah. And wasn't it only two, three years ago, maybe, that they saw paying Darcy Tucker. Yep. Like, oh my god, this team has just been plagued with these contracts. So, finally, everything's off the books, um, which gives us room to throw Peter Morazic's on the books, potentially, if nobody will take him. But I think somebody might. I, th- I think so, too. I If if they move him, because Dubas is proud. Yes, it didn't work this year. But historically, Mrazek has been a competent goaltender in the NHL. Yes, but you need somebody like he's a one B. I don't think he's your one A. And how at three point eight million do you bring somebody else in ahead of him? Like it worked when Jack was on a low deal. Like you're gonna have to find somebody else that's on like a one to two million dollar deal tops at that point. And I mean, look, they offered Jack two. They came back with seven. So obviously they meet in the middle at about five, which is what everyone kind of, that was the high end of everybody's prediction. I think we were all in like the four, four and a half range, but uh, it seems that five is where they've landed at. And uh, sounds like New Jersey might be willing to pay it. So (sighs) no soup for us. Potentially. Um, I think maybe this is me looking at it with, you know, leaf fan glasses on but it, it depending on how close they actually are whether or not jack's camp actually wants five or like it, it's so tough to say because dubas always comes out of left field <clears throat> excuse me um but this is the first place that jack has actually not only had a full chance to be a number one but actually succeeded in the environment 
and the first time that he's been able to get this kind of a payday, right? Like he's never made over. Yeah. What was he making with Leafs? Like one point six or something. I want to say it was like one point seven two or. And I think that's the most he's made on a contract. So look, if the Leafs offer him three times four, that's twelve million. If Jersey offers him four times five at twenty million dollars, like I get it. That's an eight million dollar difference in the contract for a guy who's career earnings are probably less than $8 million. So it makes sense. Like go get your money. Uh, I just, I don't think the Leafs, I don't think it makes sense to pay him like as fucking great as he's been. I just, with this dumb, stupid flat cap, I just don't see how they make it work unless they move on from a lot of pieces that make them as competitive as they are. So, you know, you find a needle in a haystack sometimes with goalies. You found it with Jack Maybe you try it again, fuck, but like you're rolling the dice here. And it's a really important position to be rolling the dice with when you're trying to run this back. And, yeah, it's it's yeah. such a such an important position. Like look at not that the Rangers have been playing bad, but look at how far they've made it with Shesterkin, right? Yeah. It's I mean Shesterkin, Vasilevsky, uh I mean fucking the West doesn't make sense. Kemper and Smith are not great. They've just been playing insanely good. You, you can get lucky, like, do you somehow pry Vili Huso out of St. Louis? Maybe. He's a UFA. He's currently making 750000 a year. That'd be a nice one. I mean, he's going to want a couple mil wherever he goes, but I don't know what kind they're, of position St. Louis might want to keep him and Benner. Like, they're already paying Bennington starter money, though. Yeah, it's true. So it's uh, there's so many different options. Does this potentially free up um, keeping other people? Like, while we're on the topic of Leafs UFAs, like, I mean, we've talked about Engvall and Mikheyev a lot. Mikheyev was kind of a write-off to leave, but look, if Jack walks and they're going for a cheap goalie, Geo took 800K, do we maybe keep Mikheyev? Like, if he's going to be even better next year after this, like, do you maybe move him up to the second line? Honestly, I would focus more on securing Engvall, securing, as as much as some people might not like hearing it, securing Kasha, and then making sure that you don't piss in Lily and Sandine's cornflakes by offering them too low of a deal, right? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Sorry. I'm resting my feet on a wooden box. I keep moving. <laughs> um, the, the problem with all of these guys is just the log jam in the lineup, right? Like Kerfoot, Mikheyev and Engvall all kind of fill the same, not the same type of role, but they fill the same position essentially where they're just going to move between the second, third and fourth line. However, they need them on the night. And I don't think that's bad, but like with Kasha too, I think with the amount of games he plays, the deal's got to make sense for essentially paying him for like 50 games of the season because it's, kind of what he's guaranteed for at this point. So if you can keep all those guys, it's like, I don't know. They all showed a lot of growth this year, especially Mikheyev and Engvall. But, you know, does that continue if you can't give them more ice time because of this logjam of like, you know, Marner and Matthews are always going to be there and Tavares and Willie are always going to be where they are. So, you know, how do you give anybody, there's two slots open there on the wing on the first and second line. And Bunting's kind of locked down the first one. 
And, you know, you're, you're paying Kerfoot essentially the money of a second line winger. So you kind of have to put him there by default. But then where does that leave Kasha and Engvall and Kampf and Mikheyev? And, you know, then you're trying to bring up Robertson and Nyes. And, you know, how do you get all these guys into the lineup and actually have them in meaningful roles and not just checking line roles? That's a really long-winded question, I know. <laughs> well, I, I think that's kind of how you do it. When you build a team with the players that you did and you have, what, 30... 40% of your cap tied up in just a handful of players. You need to let a lot of players walk when potentially you wanted to keep them, right? And you need to rely on either veterans coming in, playing a lower role at a lower cost and performing, or kids coming up on entry-level deals. But That's what's the... Un- no, sorry, finish off. No, no, I was just going to say that's that's kind of what the league's gone towards, right? Like Pittsburgh's been doing it since they got Crosby and Malkin, and everybody thinks that, that the Leafs, like everybody talks that uh, like the Leafs are the first ones that have done it, and they're in this cap hell. Well, when Pitt, or when Crosby and Malkin signed those deals, at that point in time, they were 10, 11, 12% of the cap per, right? So it, it's, it's the same thing. There you also just wasn't a frozen be... cap. No, this is true. You just have to be thrifty filling in guess, around them. I guess there's something to be said about, like, as much as we can keep all these guys that are kind of the same tier, what you run into is you're juggling lines a lot. And if you look at the teams that are making it all the way to the end here, there's not a ton of changing. Like, their third line is pretty set. Their fourth line is pretty set. And they find a chemistry and a way to play all season that then translates over into the playoffs. And I feel like the Leafs are always changing up that, especially in the playoffs when they, you know, they run into something, it's like, all right, let's change up all the lines and try something else. It's like as much as you're going to have these core four guys on the the forward uh, lines, you got to find some consistent partners for them. Like I know it's going to change year to year, but I mean, look what happened with bunting. You got lucky. You got to do that a couple more times and find people that work well together and keep them together. It's like, fuck, look at St. Louis. They had nine players that scored over 20 goals this year. Like, if you can find players like that to fill out this lineup that are going to score 20 goals and not, you know, 11 or 12, because as great as it, as fun as it is every time, you know, Engvall scores and we get to make a giraffe sound, what did he score, 14 goals this year? Like, it's it's great. And yeah, Austin scores 60 and that offsets it, but the more production you get from these guys and that's possible from what you're paying maybe from other people. Like I just, I just think they need more out of what they're getting down there and guys that, that work well together night in and night out and not juggle it around. That's, that's my point in a nutshell. I see where you're coming from, but if you break down some of the more successful teams, like if you look at Tampa game by game throughout the course of the entire regular season, pretty much everybody has played with everybody. Yeah, but in the playoffs, they don't move anybody. Uh, a little bit they do. Not a ton, but a little bit. Like against so you, the Leafs, they pretty much ran the same four lines every night, and the Leafs were constantly changing. And I feel like it's always like, all right, let's try these guys, because that worked this couple times that we tried it once. It's like, I don't know. I feel like you gotta you got to put together an identity for a third and fourth line, because those are the outliers. There's nobody to kind of anchor them, especially with Spezza gone now. You know, what are you doing with Simmons? 
you can't just have Simmons and Clifford with like, I don't know. It's just, it doesn't work as a fourth line. Um, you got to find an identity for them and find people that play within an identity and put them together. And I think Kampf and Kasha and Mikheyev are, uh, are pretty good together. I mean, he's found his speed and Engvall, if he uses his body more next season, like he found at the end of this one, I think he'd be effective on a checking line, but I know like he can provide more than that. I just, I don't know. There's some holes that need to be filled here and I'm interested to see who he brings in. Cause I mean, like, look, Andrew Kopp is available. Like that would be a nice, if you can move Kerfoot to be like a third and fourth line floater and, like, I don't care if you're paying him, what is it, four and a half million? Like, fuck, put him on the third line and have a dangerous third line every night if it means you get Andrew Cobb for the second line. Yeah. Yeah, if something like that could be possible, then it's definitely worth it. And you have you have players in the system who, who are just waiting for their chance. So unless you can get a steal of a deal because a player wants to come to the Leafs, a seal honestly, deal? I told you my seal deal happens. At, anyway, sorry. I've been watching Arrested <laughs> Development. Um, then I, I honestly think maybe they leave a couple of roster spots open in the hopes that one of these kids steals a spot, right? Like you have yeah, Pontus Holmberg, you have Steves, you have... Um, I forgot about Steve. I personally, I, I would love to see Curtis Douglas crack the roster. The kid's six foot nine. Unreal. Like if you could have a six foot nine center on on the fourth line, like that would be huge. So let's close you, it. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I was just gonna keep naming off prospects, right? Like um, Bobby McMahon played great down there this year. You've got um, Voight was lighting up the OHL. There's so many different possibilities of kids who could come up. I didn't even mention Robertson yet. Yeah, we should do a whole. Uh, we'll go over the system as it is right now and who the Leafs could potentially pick with their 25th pick in the first round uh, on a later episode. Um, but just to close out the Leafs chat before we sign off here, um, what do you think about a lot of chatter around moving Rasmus Sandin? Because I know you love Sandman. God, I, I hope too. not. Like, there has been so many times that the Leafs have moved a player far too soon and... I'm not talking about Mason Marchment or um, who's the other one in Florida right now. Um, just signed a contract there, was lighting it up during the playoffs. Verhage. Verhage, yeah. Like, those are two players that realistically they didn't project out to be all-stars. Like, I'm talking Steen. You moved Steen out way oh too Oh my soon. God, that one hurts so bad. That- when he scored, what was it? He had four goals and eight points or something the one night. Like, that was the night I was like, yep, this is our next captain. Yep, like, Steen and Bozak were so hard to lose to St. Louis. Oh, so, so bad. Like, I don't think that Dubis is in that in that mindset. Yes, there's holes, but what, what are you gaining from moving him? You're not gaining cap space. No, anybody that trades for him is going to try to lowball you so bad because he was hurt. He doesn't have the experience. He hasn't played a full season, blah, blah, blah. It's the Leafs, you know, the position they're in. Yep. No, exactly. The ceiling is far too high to even begin to think about moving him. And for everybody that says, oh, he's a smaller defenseman, he's a smaller defenseman. Like, Makar's not a giant. 
No, and he took down uh, Connor McDavid on a breakaway. Did you see that? Oh, that was a th- like that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. Like you don't in the in today's game anymore. You don't need to be Chara. Like okay, yeah, sometimes it helps, but you don't need to be. And for what you give Sandine up for, I think he becomes that, if not more, in two years. Unless you're getting like. Look, there's some some high scoring young wingers out there that if they're moving somebody for like a serious prospect on forward that you're getting that still has a couple years left on an entry level deal, maybe. But I don't think anyone's going to give the Leafs that because it's exactly what they need. And that's just not what you do. I don't see the point, like you said, cap wise and moving him. I just it doesn't make sense. You're not feeling like who's going to take the spot? Like, who are you opening this up for? realistically there would have to be cap juggling but if i was moving sandman i'd probably want chicken so you'd go for another defenseman eh? just because then it we're getting into a whole bag of worms here but like if you moved sandman if you brought chicken in that frees up the possibility to move muzzin yeah it's just like i find chicken is another riley though right like he's He's a he's a fairly big boy, but he's not super defensive, is he? I thought he was more an offensive defenseman. Or I don't watch Arizona that much, so I don't really know. Yeah, he he's a little bit of a hybrid, but he's I'd say he's more physical than Riley for sure. So does he play with Riley? Because that I think they're both left side, aren't they? That I haven't dug into that much, but you you could. You're pushing, yeah, you push one to the offside. It's just like, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know. There's no there's no reason to move Sandy. And I think if anything, you got to try to move on from the Muzzin contract just because of how much it's eating up and the production you're getting out of him and the injuries and the age and, 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 and. As great as he was in the playoffs, it's just, it's, the sun is setting there, unfortunately, and it's a lot of money. It's getting into yep. like Marlowe territory. Where yep. I don't want to give something up to move it, but oh my god. That and Mrazics are the ones that are really glaring right now. Like, unless you could somehow package Sandine in some way, shape, or form and get a high-end younger goalie. Yeah. But realistically, who's out there? Like, I wouldn't want to pack... I wouldn't want to put him in there for a, a Georgiev. Georgiev hasn't played enough games. He's not um, even young. He's like 30, isn't he? I think he's 27. Um, Like, I I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't really want to... Okay, sorry. I would be okay if you moved him and you got... Dude's younger than me. um, Askarov from Nashville. Yeah. But there's no way they're going to move him. And even still, is he going to be a Shesterkin? Or is he going to be a Brzezgalov? You, you you never know, right? <laughs> I forgot about him. There's all this talk that he's going to be incredible, but you you just you don't know. Uh, yeah, a lot of unknowns. Um, so, like I said, we'll we'll touch on a lot of this before we get into the uh, the draft because some things might happen there. Uh, like I said, Leafs get the 25th pick in the first round, which is pretty cool. Um, also, Happy Pride Month to everybody! It is uh, June 5th or 
it's now the sixth because we're past midnight, but um, I suggest everybody go and check out Steph's awesome 10 part post on Twitter about it. Um, it was very well written. Um, anything else here? I'm just sorry, I'm just reading through my notes. Uh, next episode, we'll touch on this insane craziness that came out about the 2018 World Junior team. I was waiting for more info to come out about it before talking about it, but um, yeah, we got to touch on that. Also, rumors of Torts going to Philly. What? Um, That's actually a team that I could see him fitting in well with. Right? It just works. So, also, everything that's happened with Kadri since the beginning of the playoffs, from Bennington and the water bottle to uh, now the injury and Evander Kane. So, a lot's been going on with him. Also, all the racism and craziness. So, we'll touch on that next time because that's a lot to unpack. Also, a lot of big hits, like the Truba one on Domi. There was... A lot of notable, massive headshots in this uh, this playoffs. And until Evander Kane, Kyle Clifford had the only suspension. So kind of crazy what they're deeming suspendable or, or not in this uh, this run. Uh, we can also touch on the, uh, the kick or no kick in the Battle of Alberta and offside or not offside. So many questionable fucking things, man. Oh, it's it's been insane. Um and I, I do just want to say that uh, condolences to the Hillman family, Leafs, um, Leafs legendary defenseman Larry Hillman passed away. Oh, um, he won the cups with the Leafs in the '60s, and he actually had what he called the Hillman hex on the Leafs, which I don't know if you remember or not. <laughs> but when Shanahan no. became president of the Leafs, he actually attempted to help reverse it. Nice. So quickly, way back when, the Leafs general manager and coach, Punch Imlac, who won the cup with the Leafs in the 60s, he was notoriously cheap and (laughs) would constantly get in arguments with players over small sums of money. Now, back in the 60s, they would have been a lot larger than they are now, but um, Hillman was haggling for a $5,000 raise after they won their last cup, and that would bring him to twenty grand a year. Wow. And Imlac set the bar at 19500 Oh, my God. And that was as high as he was going. And he fined him $100 a day for every day that he was not there. Oh, my God. And then Hillman had a three-week holdout during that. Fast forward, the North Stars claimed Hillman in 1968. And Hillman was unhappy that he was down $2,400. And he said that until the debt was repaid with interest the Leafs would never again win the cup. Oh my God. Uh, why are there all so, these curses, man? So Shanahan actually wrote Hillman a check when he became president and during their centennial year in 2017 for that sum of money with compound interest <laughs> and gave it to him. Oh my God. Oh, you know, so, I'm hoping that all these little things getting resolved and with uh, the Leafs finally getting past at least the first round, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> it will. It's coming. Oh, I have a totally unrelated thing that I want to close off with here. Um, have you ever heard of Cat Island? No. So I stumbled upon this the other day. There's this island in Japan where it's basically been abandoned because of, uh, I think it was like sardine fishing town. And because the industry kind of evaporated. Uh, people fled the island back to the mainland, but they left their cats there. 
And if you know anything about cats, they repopulate extremely quickly. Uh, so the only people that stayed on the island were people that were like retired and living on this nice little private place that they could upkeep themselves. Um, there were something like 14 or 12 people living on the island, but they were all over the age of 75. So they have slowly uh, died off, unfortunately. Uh, there are currently six people that live on the island and about 216 cats. Can you imagine the smell? Yeah, I can't. And oh. people just like tourists go there every day and just like feed them. And because at one point they were like, you know, what do we do about these cats? Like they're, they're not getting fed outside of, you know, tourist months. And so they put out a call on the internet, you know, Hey, help, help us feed these cats. Send us donations, please. And they literally had to stop donations. They're like, please stop sending us cat food. We do not have enough space for it. Like you ask the internet for cat food to save kitties and you will get like literally more than you could get of anything you'd ask for on the internet, I'm sure. <laughs> like tell the internet cats are hungry and they'll respond. Well, there was that Netflix show called Don't Fuck With Cats or something like that, right? Oh yeah, Don't Fuck With Cats. The internet will fuck you back. So... Um, to try to assist the status of this island, they had a program where they were going to catch all of them at once, you know, have them all in individual cages and they were going to spay or neuter all of them and then release them back out just to try to like, you know, control this because it's getting out of hand and these six old people cannot take care of them. And so the Islanders agreed and they helped them. A bunch of volunteers came in and they got all these cats together. They brought 160 cages because that's about... They estimated at most there were like 150 and they were like, holy fuck, we keep putting food out and more keep showing up and we've filled 160 cages. So they caught 210 cats and they spayed and neutered them all and they released them out. What they did not count on was that two residents, a couple, were not on board with this and harbored a dozen cats in their house while this was going on. And as soon as everybody left, they released them back out. And we are basically back where we started. <laughs> like, are you fucking joking? That is ridiculous. So when I read about this, it was after I'd watched somebody's video that, you know, YouTube just randomly recommends things. It was recommending me some video of somebody visiting Cat Island because I don't know. Sometimes I put videos on for our cat when I'm leaving. So I guess I <laughs> thought this would be a good one. And by the way, the cat was staring at the TV the whole time. It was hilarious. Uh, so after I read this, they said that they they clipped a bit of the ears of all of them so they could tell like which ones they'd caught. And I was checking and like the first video I saw that was older, you could tell like most of them had it. And then the one that I watched from like two months ago, absolutely none of them. I'm like, oh my God, this is so Jeez. bad. <laughs> and they all look it's like there's like a hundred orange ones, a hundred white ones, and then a hundred orange and white ones, and then there's like a hundred brown ones. It's like, oh my <laughs> wow! You can see like all the the families of them and like where they've crossed over. It's just it's absolutely insane. I know this is totally unhockey related, but I just there's some <laughs> things I stumble upon that are just nuts. Anyway, go Leafs, go! Uh, you're listening to Leafs Late Night. We will be back. Uh, hopefully, we'll get back on a regular schedule here. Um, Southern and I are working, but I'll uh, I'll do something midweek, and then we'll do something on the weekend. So probably one or two episodes this week. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. 
Sounds this good. has been Leafs Late Night. There we go. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Leafs Late Night, your night of post-game podcast. Available after every game on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and more.